this is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Hot Thought Podcast. Now, if you'll rewind with me to a year ago, in fact, I don't even think it was that long ago, you'll remember that Beavertown broke the internet when they sold up half their business or just under to Heineken. And I remember being in the office with Paddy, who you'll have heard on a previous episode of the Hot Thought Podcast, having this massive debate about whether that was a good thing or not. For my part, I was like, well, what Logan Plant does with his business and where he gets his money from is totally his business. That's that's fine, you know, good for them. If that's what they want, then go for it, you know. It can't be easy to raise that amount of cash through crowdfunding or, and I don't think chocolate buttons are still legal tender. But Paddy, on the other hand, was like, no, they've sold out. I'm not buying Beavertown ever again. Um, it was right of breweries and bottle shops to boycott them send a message stick it to the man and so on so it's a really contentious issue so we used to play this little game after who's gonna sell up next so i was actually quite shocked when fullers did it and you know i had uh, richard morris talking a little bit about that on the podcast a few weeks ago um but in my mind i've been thinking well who, who would sell next now i, I don't want to say who i'm thinking of <laughs> publicly who I think will be but when I was getting the shopping in um, from Aldi which is part of my usual Friday routine uh, with the kids in tow if any of you got kids and you go to Aldi you deserve a medal like and a beer in fact sod the medal just have the beer anyway and then I saw that Twitter was going wild again about Magic Rock um, selling the business to Lion There was a certain degree of what I call mild indignation. I think people kind of started to get used to it. But still, you know, this was hot on the tails of Magic Rock and Thornbridge and North and a lot of big hitter UK breweries putting their beer into Tesco and Tesco selling them so cheap. So there was a lot of conversation around this anyway. So for this news to come out at this point in time felt a little bit like whoa you know um the twitter sphere is going mad and i love all that i love watching the the debate about the beer industry that's one of the reasons i'm involved in the beer industry because i I love the way that people talk about it the conversations and everyone's different opinions and everyone has opinions it's like that phrase isn't it um opinions are like arseholes everyone's got one um you can have that one for free um but I thought, oh, do you know what? It'd be absolutely smashing to get Matthew Curtis back on the Hot Four podcast to share his opinions and his thoughts on it. Um, I regard Matthew really highly. He's a great guy and he's uh, got a lot of opinions and thoughts on the whole subjects of beer and is very willing to offer them. So I invited Matthew on when the news broke about Magic Rock uh, to come and chat about brewery sell-ups and supermarkets and... I think you're going to really enjoy today's episode. Lots of great 
thoughts and discussion um, between me and Matt over the magic of the Tinterweb. You couldn't do this back in the day, could you? You had to pick up a phone or go see somebody, but we can talk online. And you can listen to me on the Hotboard podcast like you are doing, and thank you for doing that. And one more thing you can do is leave a really nice review on iTunes and Spotify. Um, please leave a, a nice one. Help us get some more listeners and spread the word about what we're doing. And follow us on social media at Hot Four Beers. And... Go to your local independent bottle shop and go and support their businesses and buy some beer to enjoy while listening to the Hot Four podcast this week with Matthew Curtis. So on the Hot Forward podcast today, I am joined once again by Matthew Curtis. Hello. Hi Nick, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm dead busy. Um, I'm frantic because I'm flying off to the United States on Friday to Denver, uh, and on Monday the Craft Brewers Conference starts. It'll be my fourth time attending that, uh, which I always love attending. It's the biggest industry gathering in brewing, um, and uh, so I'm just trying to tie up all my loose ends and finish off my work before I can uh, sit on my nine-hour flight on Friday and enjoy a few uh, uh, beers. <laughs> oh, sounds sounds good. Yeah, I, I'm not doing that for my half-term. <laughs> yeah, looking after the kids. That there you fun. go. Yeah, fun in a different way. I'm leaving way. the cat with Diane, my partner. So, we don't, yeah, we just have a cat, so it's nice and they, easy. <laughs> they, well, cats are pretty self-sustaining, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah, you know. Um, so it's been a big week in beer recently which is why i asked you onto the podcast so soon it's been a triple whammy hasn't it we've seen we've seen so much happen um we've seen two businesses uh, bottle shop and uh, beer boutique so a retailer and distributor go under um we've seen uh, magic rock uh, obviously uh, sell to lion uh, it was rumored the rumors were going like wildfire weren't they mm-hmm. and then um tesco put 40 beers in into several hundred shops all over the uk didn't they yeah well i think that's the thing that for me when i looked online sort of kick-started it and wanted to pick your brains about mm. because some of those beers look like great beers and there's a lot of debate online you know on uh, uk craft beer forum on facebook and just on twitter mm. in general about supermarket beers and in some ways, it seems like a win for the consumer because yeah, Cannonball in, um, you know, Jaipur in Tesco, you, you know, like I want to go to Tesco and buy those beers. But then what does that do to independent bottle shops like the ones you just mentioned that are going under? Um, what does that do to breweries in general? Um, and why do you think it's such a hotly contested topic at the moment? Tesco is an interesting one. Um, because if you look at um, uh, so if you look at Magic Rock Cannonball, which has gone in to uh, several hundred stores, uh, and it's retailing at one pound eighty a can, or you can get three for five twenty-five, so that's one pound seventy-five a can, um, which is equivalent to cost plus VAT for a an independent retailer, because mm-hmm. based on the the volumes that they were buying, um, but uh, if you look at Waitrose uh, selling Gamma Ray, it's £2.50. 
Um, and, and if you look at um, Marks and Spencer's selling Camden Hells and, and Northern Monk, they're in the sort of two, two pound fifty region. So so um, Tesco's approach is is somewhat different to the other supermarkets as it is with a lot of their products. They they're aggressive. Um, and they this I would say that they are targeting market share. Um it's a very bizarre strategy for a national chain because it's all involved around selling single units. Yeah, I don't understand it, um, and and capturing the same enthusiasm as a small store does. And and you see this boom when they release new beers, and I don't know how sustainable that is. Yeah, if I was putting, if I was a, a brewery owner, and I was putting in my core, my best selling core beer into the supermarket, and I found out people were going in and buying one one can at, at a time. I'd be a bit miffed. I'd be like, why aren't they buying six? I'd put them in a box and say, you have to get a box of six. Yeah. If they're yeah. going to be that cheap, then they have to buy it. You know, the, the turnover has to be there, which helps ensure a better value proposition for the chain. Um, and it gives um, freshness because you're turning over stock faster. And then, you know, the specialist retailers uh, have the ability to sell singles because they're small, they're flexible, they can change their stock quickly, they can turn over small amounts of stock in a short amount of time. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure how, how that would work for, for Tesco. The other thing is that um, Tesco doesn't refrigerate these beers. And, and about 90% of these 40 beers they're putting are, are uh, unstable, heavily dry hopped IPAs. Mm. And, and uh People who are buying those off the shelves might have a great experience, but what are the people buying them in a month's time? If the, you know, because some stores will do really well with them, but some won't. Yeah. Um, and I suspect the, the Tesco at the end of my street won't do very well because there's loads of there's there's some great pubs and bottle shops around here that 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 have that great trade, and you might get tickers go and get the beer once, but te- like Tesco can't build a a, a a structured sales platform for beer off tickers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think Tesco think in that kind of way. I mean, we all know that they place beer at the back of the shop as a loss leader to get you to go and buy other things. Mm. Um, I mean, I think the ticker thing's interesting. I don't know if you saw on um, doing the rounds on Twitter that someone had gone on a Facebook tirade about having walked all the way to this <clears throat> Tesco in Doncaster, you know, yes. only not to find those beers that were advertised, you know, and, and I mean, the language was pretty obscene, there, really. There were some uh, racist comments in there as well. Um, I, I question the legitimate, le- I mean, I don't know this guy. I've, I, I didn't see the original post. I'm not in that that particular Facebook group, the supermarket one, but um, it was on April Fool's Day, so part of me was questioning the validity right. of it, but um, it was, uh, I mean, it, I, I mean, I've seen bl- overblown rants before, but that was another level. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, why, why do you think people are losing their shit over this? I don't, I don't know. I mean, they, they did, hi- Tesco's, um, this, uh, this Domo beers, uh, I don't, uh, uh, Domo, uh, Tesco's beer buyer, who's been, hyping it up on Instagram and getting hundreds of likes and attention. And he's also been posting it on, on this Facebook forum said that the beers would be there on, on available on Monday. And, um, what happened is that the shops actually got, got them on the Friday before, I think. But it takes ages for stuff to go from their massive fulfillment centers to the shop floor. And even when they get into the stores, the staff aren't going to start filling the shelves until there's, space yeah 
And so these beers were in the stores and not being put out, so people couldn't buy them. So if you'd gone on a forum and the person who ordered those beers said, you're going to be able to buy these limited edition beers today, uh, and you can't, then you'd be annoyed. But I don't understand why you'd be annoyed at a few uh, few IPAs when there's so many uh, IPAs being uh, released um, uh, from breweries everywhere. So there's, uh, you know, I don't know how people who do... Uh, thrive off trying new things and, and, and ticking those boxes um, uh, manage to keep up with it all because I, as someone in beer who who tries to taste my way through as many beers as I can and and uh, and get a handle on what's going on that's now impossible like mm-hmm. I, I, I cannot taste every beer no one can even even 10% of it probably so people who are who are maybe people who are thriving off that ticket culture don't get those beers then that's going to make them frustrated um but, but for everyone else they, there's so much beer out there they can go and buy but what why do you think surrounding both this tesco thing and the magic rock selling to lion or or you know going further back when camden sold to ab InBev or beaver town mm. sold why do you think that there's such animosity in that situation and, and such um i don't want to use the word turmoil um is this between between? So this is speaking of the sellout rather than the this putting into supermarkets. I guess what I'm getting at is craft beer drinkers seem to be on another level when it comes to how passionate they are about effectively a hobby. Now, yes. I might get yeah. shot down for calling it a hobby, but that's effectively what it is. Like no one would lose it if Jacob's Crackers, you know, sold to. Ritz or I don't know anything about You've crackers. You've obviously but... not been on Jacob's Crackers uh, <laughs> enthusiast. Uh, <Heavenly> not. <laughs> no, yes. Um, beer is a very emotional um, uh, product. Um, it always has been. If you look at camera in the 70s and, and uh, you know, holding the Great British Beer Festival in Covent Garden and, and from, from then on, beer's always been an emotional thing. And um, it always, I always come back to this uh, this quote from Pete Brown, which I love, where he says, beer is sticky uh, when it dries because it's the glue that holds society together. And I think there's a lot to be said for that and why it can be such an emotional thing because it's it's an important thing for so many millions of people all over the world. Um, and the way that the, that the modern beer industry has built it up is, is through um, uh, transparency and, uh, and and emotion as much as it is about brand and product. So you're not, you're not a customer to these breweries and you know if you look at Brewdog, they even call their customers fans mm. these are fans and it, you can tie this back to the indie music scene of the 90s where when when an indie band signed to a major label um its fans were were disappointed um because uh they feel like they were losing that that intimacy they weren't going to play these these small toilet venues anymore that you would you wouldn't be able to hang out backstage and meet meet the uh the, the members of the band behind the stage and maybe have a have a beer with them uh, after the show because they were being guided they had an entourage and they have you know they, they they've risen above that and there's and you kind of lose that connection and, and that's upsetting and i feel that's how a lot of people relate to to beer and i think if you look at modern beer it's not just a case of going to the pub and drinking beer these breweries have opened themselves up um, not just through social media where you can speak to them directly, but you can the, the, the rise of the tap room and being able to put yourself directly um, in their place of operation and, and have tours and, and you meet them. And, and if you're really into beer, 
uh, these days, it's likely that you have friends that work for a brewery. Yeah. No, and even if you know, even if you're not someone like us who works in the industry, if you if you are a regular beer drinker, a beer fan, especially in any of the major cities, you you will know you'll be on first name terms with people at breweries. So when they sell out, there is there is that emotional attachment, and um, and it's 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 interesting. I've monitored like I've monitored my reaction because it's always different, and I I feel like I've so, somewhat prepared myself. I think Camden was the one that got me mm. because um camden town was uh i was a big fan and uh i my train home went through their tap room um and so i would go there two or three times a week and i got to know all the staff you know people like alex troncoso who went on to to uh to open lost and grounded he'd be just having a beer after shift and, and he'd sit down and chat to people how are you and you know it, it was that kind of environment and that's how it is at other places so when they sell out you feel like you lose that connection and actually there is there is an element of that because certainly within you know we saw how Cloudwater reacted and, and not just Cloudwater brew by numbers Jester King when when Beavertown sold and they pulled out of the festival um because their their values didn't align with them and these these are industry friends so you know you see how these things can create rifts and when that's happening at that industry level that's going to then ripple down to to consumers and and people will will take a side or sit on the fence Uh, but it's, it's it's polarizing but do you not think that's just polarizing for people like me and you who are into it and all the other people that might be listening to this podcast being being a specialty podcast. Like, so I'll give you an example. My brother-in-law, he'd never heard of Magic Rock. Mm. And that's, and so when I was saying about some breweries from around, he lives in Edinburgh, some breweries around the north um, mm. that he should check out. You know, Magic Rock, obviously, were one of the breweries in that list. Then um, he came to me several months later saying, oh, I was at an office, office party and somebody brought, some of that magic rock and uh, I think it was called Cannonball. He says, oh, it was absolutely amazing. Now, having that beer available in Tesco and further afield through the distribution networks that magic rock have now got available to them through Lion, mm. that's surely going to be a good thing for the wider drinker who, who doesn't, know or even care about the stuff that we're passionate about so where do you draw the line when it comes to like people losing it um or people's values being offended Mm. maybe rightly so maybe wrongly so um i mean you can't argue with people's values because they're people's values you you value what you value but it's like where, where it seems so messy like where do you draw the lines i think um I think the important thing to remember about beer is that, um, and this is from industry to, to consumer to, to, to well, when I and when I say consumer in this respect, I mean enthusiast, the people who are fans of breweries. Yep. That this this conversation we have, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's on Twitter, is is an echo chamber, and it seems like a huge deal and emotional to us because we are at the center of the echo chamber and we're hearing all these voices and all these opinions and it's quite intense but outside of this this little little chamber no one gives a damn and that's that's the reality and i actually it's funny you mentioned how cannonball as an example going out into supermarkets is going to be great because it's going to get people into beer and for a long time i 
I thought, yeah, that's it is it is going to give visibility, and and up to a certain point, I do think that is true. Um, but the more I look at it, that the more people will just look for people aren't looking for a Magic Rock Cannonball, they're looking for an IPA, and they will a lot of people will find a, a, a new go to brand, a new generation will find maybe it's a Gamma Ray, maybe it's um, maybe it's a Cannonball, maybe it's a Five Points Duper, which also went into Tesco, uh, and they're probably really they were probably really thankful that Magic Rock got all the fuss because they're just like sitting on the shelf like, got away with that one. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, I do think there's um, there's a, a naivety to, to the, the opinion that, that craft beer in a, in a national grocery chain will have an effect of, of uh, evangelizing more people into beer. Hmm. The, the evangelists are there like it, the beer has grown to this point where there are many enthusiasts and evangelists but it's still an echo chamber it's still a bubble and it's only going to reach a certain size and then to most people beer will just remain beer beer is changing you know beer is changing from commodity product to um, a new type of commodity and that commodity much like it is in the u.s is is a, is a hoppy ipa or pale ale that is just where palettes are going that is where trends are going but um, 99 out of 100 people aren't going to, they're going to go, I want an IPA, but they're not going to buy a cannonball and drink it and go, whoa, I must get out there and see what else is out there in the big wide world of beer. That's not happening. I would put forward an argument to, to all the people who think that supermarkets are converting people into beer enthusiasts, that one local community focused bottle shop um, that has a regular customer base that is having conversations is converting. Uh, tremendous amount more people per day into beer enthusiasts than, than hundreds of supermarkets it doesn't happen at that level people become into beer at the bottle shop at the tap room so while i think it's great i don't begrudge any of the breweries going into to grocery because they're driving volumes they're paying wages they've got to support themselves and the people that work for them and that and tesco despite trashing the price on the shelf they're paying the, the brewers a good price. I've spoken to a few of them, and they said, yeah, we, we're getting a good deal. Um, so they're happy. They're making margin. Um, so, But it's not – beer being out there is, is just beer normalizing. As it, as it's just hoppy beer becoming normal, but it's not turning people – you know, people won't drink an IPA and go, I must go to Indie Man. I must go to the London Craft Beer Festival. That That's not happening. Um but people might go and hang out at a tap room for an hour with their friends and go, this this is cool, I like the vibe. Should come to the festival next week, it's like this, but it's even, you know, mm. 50 breweries. That's where it's happening, and that's where it will continue to happen, and that's why that sector of the market is important, and that's why we should be concerned that when Tesco are selling 440 mil cans of, of double dry hopped IPA for three pounds a can, Bearing in mind that most of the trendy double dry hop IPAs from the cool breweries cost more than that before VAT at cost price. So when Tesco sell them at £3, they are ripping the arse, excuse the phrase, out of that end of the market. They are devaluing all the work that has been put in. And as I say, I don't begrudge any of the breweries um, uh, for going in there because they're making good money and, and they're, they're businesses and they're entitled to. And if I was in their shoes and I wanted to move volume and I wanted to pay my employees a good wage and make sure I could take home a decent wage, I would do the same thing because that's, that's, that's how economies of scale work. 
Um, the key thing for these breweries is is ensuring that their offering uh, at home in their tap rooms remains their best offering. And I think that will happen. Five points with the Pembury Tavern, Wildcard with their great tap room in Walthamstow, Magic Rock with what many people call the best example of a, an American style tap room in the UK. It is really great. Mm. And I had a friend there at the weekend and, and and just text me saying it's business as usual here. They're smashing through the pints. No one would know, know anything was different. Um, but the problem is, I think, at a retail level, if you were an independent bottle shop selling cans for £8, because that's what you had to to make the margin on it, and Tesco are selling them for three. Uh, you're going to lose some some you know some share, and I do think that there's a there's intent behind Tesco's plan here to 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 take away uh, that business for themselves. But that's that's the model they operate on. Yeah, they're, they're the same as Amazon. Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate. I saw that um, Jules from Hop Hideout in Sheffield had. Um, Jules is great. Jules is Jules is a pal of mine. Yeah, she she posted that um, the, the, from Magic Rock. There'd be no warning whatsoever about the Tesco. Mm thing and so it was like well you know tesco is selling it cheaper than what we get at a wholesale like what what are we to do now <laughs> i yeah. mean i mean where does that leave places like hop hideout or um hops burns and black or or the the indie bottle shop i think what the the, the one advantage that indie bottle shops have is their size and they have to be so tuned in to uh the market um so, for example, you know, Hotburns and Black, folks who follow me know they're friends of mine. I write a column for them. And uh, when when Beavertown went into Waitrose, they they dropped them immediately and they replaced them with uh, with growing local breweries, Gypsy Hill and uh, and uh, Brick, which which more than filled that volume um, because they had that uh, those local ties. Those breweries were, were making great beer. And I think, um, you know, if I was a, if I was a bottle shop owner, I would drop uh, anyone going into the supermarket immediately, um, I, I would look for uh, a value proposition, something I can sell that still has value to consumers that I can make margin on, and that would be uh, another brewery. I do think the way Magic Rock handled that, you know, having worked in other industries where where similar things happen, in other industries, distributors buy back stock. Uh, in the U.S. beer industry, uh, distributors will 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 buy back stock. You know, Stone in the U.S. buy back out of date stock. Um, they wouldn't do that in the UK. Uh, in all the Tesco's, they have fourteen-month-old beer in, <laughs> but, um, which is another problem we can we can talk about. But um, no, I think I think if if that was happening, they should uh, have made people aware so that if they did need to adjust their stocking plan, they could have because it will hurt some bottle shops. Uh, I'm hosting a, uh, a tasting at Hotburns and Black on Thursday, and they have some um, some barrel-aged strongman, uh, expensive beer, seven fifty mil, corked and caged. No one's going to buy that now. It was t- it was moving pretty slowly anyway. So mm. we put it in the bottle share. We're gonna we're gonna pour one out as they say, and toast uh, the, to the next chapter because because they, they London's lucky because there are breweries fighting for that shelf space and and they will they will uh, they will find a new line that will do very well. Um, but in in some parts of the country that there, there might not be a brewery at the standard of magic rock to 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 fill its shoes so uh, it leaves that retailer in a precarious uh, position um because they you know it's really really tough to to run an indie bottle shop yeah um and you yeah you've got to sell a lot of beer you've got to make margin tesco just made that a whole lot more difficult tesco could have 
priced it in the same way as uh, as M and S or or Waitrose, but that's not their model. As you say, their model is to you know get people to the back of the shop for the cheap booze and uh, and uh, you know make the money on all the food and all the other products they're buying. Mm. How do you think then? Um, before we look at the brewery buyouts, how do, how do you think supermarkets like Tesco are going to affect the smaller brewer rather than the bottle shop? So, because in my thinking, like, and this does tie a little bit into brewery buyouts, like you, you big breweries like Magic Rock that mm. are, or, or Beaver Town that have got a significant... They're, they're not that big. They make 16,000 hectolitres of beer a year. Northern Monk make more than that, 22,000. It's... Um, you know, it's not. You know, Fuller's make three hundred and fifty thousand. Ma- Magic Rock are small potatoes. Some of my U.S. industry friends were like, "No, no one would pick up a brewery of that volume in the U.S. because that's that's a that's a brew pub. That's a microbrewery, uh, and uh, it's it's you know sh- demonstrates the difference between between the U.S. and yeah. the U.K. markets. But rel- but relatively speaking, I mean that that Magic Rock are bigger than a lot of like Sebas members, for example. When you've got breweries that are in supermarkets your magic rocks your like five points that have got a really good qa program mm. and then particularly the ones that get a a big investment to invest in that qa program to make those mm. beers more stable and everything how do you think that's going to affect small brewers that haven't got the money and the capital to invest in that and are packaging their beer and a consumer opens this this local real ale or craft beer whatever you want to call it from from their local bottle shop or daily or whatever and it's just kind of like well that doesn't compare to jaipur cannonball whatever from a supermarket do, do you think that's going to put a pressure on breweries to rightly so up their game as far as quality assurance and controls are concerned but some breweries physically can't get to that level of quality and consistency because they they just simply don't make the money. Um, I don't think that's I don't think that's an excuse in this market. If I'm being honest, I, I'm reminded of a conversation I had with a brewer a couple of years ago when I said, "Oh, you know, it's great that you've uh, scaled up and you've got this lab now." And they're like, "Well, it's helpful, but you know, the most important piece of equipment in my lab is my microscope, and that costs forty pounds." You know, if a if a brewery has has time to 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 spend time chatting on social media then it has time to buy a microscope and do cell counts of its yeast and check check its yeast is healthy you know there's i think that there is there is a, a an ideal in the brewing industry that you can make a few casks and sell a bit of beer and, and live an easy life and and the way the industry has changed has taken that away you, you cannot but it was going that way anyway because beer is not a money-making product you, no one goes into beer to make lots of money by the odd one or two breweries that do successfully manage to sell their business. Um, so I think if you're if you're not, you know, a hundred percent focused on quality and consistency, regardless of your size, then you then you're going to suffer. You know, the, the consumer deserves good beer, and it's all well and good pointing at bigger breweries selling out and big big beer in Tesco and saying, well, I can't compete with that. Well, 
you you can you can make outstanding beer and that's really difficult and it takes hard work but that's how you compete in the market as a small brewery if you're making a thousand hectoliters a year um, and your beer is amazing people will talk about it people will buy it and if it's not they'll go to tesco's and buy cannonball because they know that's reliable mm. so th- there isn't an excuse for me to be anything less than outstanding in in this industry if, if you want to be successful even if you want to stay small look at the kernel you know they've hit a size they're not growing they've got the, the same team they've had pretty much since day one making their recipes have barely changed an, an iota over the years and and they just make consistently excellent beer you know and that that is a model that works because even you know they will never be in supermarkets they don't even have a tap room but the beer is brilliant so people buy it all the time and that's a model i think a lot of breweries could look at and go you know what is my beer as good as the kernels is it better than the kernels and then if if that kind of mentality existed and people bought a microscope and checked it their yeast was healthy and cleaned their element once in a while uh, (laughs) then then the, the, the beer would be would be outstanding so um yeah it's it's just it's getting harder because you've mm. got to, if you want to compete you've got to work you, the beer's got better and you've got to work harder and make better beer if you want to compete with with the big boys yeah i mean i totally agree with that but i think <clears> buying <throat> a microscope's one thing but then buying a do meter that kind oh of, yeah do, you, you know it's not everyone get the old anton par <laughs> but it, but that's what i mean you know the the the, the bigger hitters will have that you know and to the and I'm not just talking about the cheap one that does it in part per million. You need part per billion to to really dial that in. Mm. Um, and I again, I know a lot of Seba brewers that brew good beer, but you know it won't have the the same kind of long term stability because they don't have access to those bits of kit and they can't buy those bits of kit because they're they they're not like say a, a lot of breweries don't make much money. But if you're a small brewery, less than a thousand hectolitres, and you're trying to compete with a brewery making twenty thousand hectolitres, and and you know you shouldn't have to worry about that. If you're making a small volume of beer, you should be selling it. You should make it, and it should be out the door because you're not making very much beer. If you're you know racking forty casks off one fermenter, you should you know you need to sell those through. It's not like Magic Rock that have to do you know twenty times the volume and find somewhere to sell that. And if and you know and it takes longer to sell, so you've invested in equipment that increases the shelf life. But if you're producing a smaller quantity of beer, your turnover should match that. So you mm. shouldn't have to be trying to build in invest in building six month shelf life. You should be selling it like week after week after week. And so I think that's where economies of scale come into it. If you are wanting to to roll out beer into a supermarket chain, you don't invest uh, you know hundreds of thousands of pounds in in, in lab equipment and staff. Then that's going to be a problem. You've got to have that. But if you are a, a, a small brewery um, with a high turnover uh, and the beer is being sold fresh, you know that that's that you shouldn't you, you know you shouldn't be needing to invest in in do meters and stuff like that because you're selling the beer quickly. And if you're not, then that's that's the problem. But and you need to be asking yourself why are you not selling beer fast enough? But do you not think that there is a pressure um, when smaller breweries? under 1,000 hectolitre, are, are either going into Tesco, and see, seeing the beers that are on display, tasting them, being like, that's really good, you know, re- really solid beer. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're, they're seeing your big hitters like Northern Monk grow and um, and 
they want a piece of that and then they read all the stuff online about having a DO meter and all the other technical mm. aspects that any brewer should do. Mm. But, you know, it's like, you know, Jeff Jefferson and his mate running a brewery and his mates doing the deliveries and Jeff's brewing the beer and selling it and mm. making labels and stuff. It's like, it's, I mean... I've been in that position. It's it's flipping hard work and it can feel, yeah. particularly when you, and this touches a little bit what we talked upon last time about social media. When you look at those Instagram posts and you're seeing all that stuff mm. and man, that looks amazing. You just think, I can't compete with that. Mm. You know, and it's, it's, it's tough for the small brewer. It is. It, it is. And I, I do have, I do have some sympathy, but this is, I mean, I mean, these are people who have, have, have started a business and um, there, I think there's plenty of room for, for breweries of all sizes to, to compete and carve out their own little bit of the market. I do worry that if, if you spend too much time looking at the shelves in Tesco and looking at other breweries on Instagram, then you lose focus on, on what you're good at. There's, mm-hmm. so, there's so much can be said for putting the phone down and just, you know, looking at your own offering and, 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 and asking yourself questions like, am I, is, you know, is my, is my beer good enough? You know, do you think I, could I get a, a temporary events notice and, and run a tap room this weekend? Maybe I can get a second hand sofa, put some string lights up, see if I can sell a few cast direct, uh, out of the brewery. Um, you know, are there any local businesses I can work with, uh, do a bar for, I, th- I think, you know, you have to be doubling down on on local and community. This is something I said on Twitter, where you have to sort of, sort of turn inwards and you have to try and not put yourself in this mindset where you're competing with these with these breweries that have vastly different economies of scale as your own. You do need to be looking at everything from the beer quality to your brand to to your voice um, uh, in person and online, and that's that's hard work. But I do believe there's opportunity, and in, in, in you know it's. I think, like I said, people did, there was this ideal of making a few casks and having this easy life, paying yourself a bit of money. And that is, that's gone. Yeah. That's a shame. But um, that's a lot of that is to do with the industry maturing. There's a, there's a level of professionalism coming in and it comes from the consumer demanding a higher quality of product and they have every, they have every right to, to demand that they're, they're consumers. That's, that's what they do. Uh, And so you, you just, you have to you have to compete and it starts with the beer being excellent um you know so i i do think even if you are you know you've got a five barrel fermenter and you're pulling off a few casks you know they should be fantastic and that you know you should be working with the, the pubs you can you can work with and, and try and get that in the best condition possible and and uh, you've got to have a tap room if you if you you know you've got to uh, if you're a small brewery you've got to figure out how to do that yeah but uh, it's it's just just so key to try and to try and make that that margin selling direct i think it's interesting what you say about asking yourself those questions because in my role talking to brewers the amount of people that have started a brewery that don't ask themselves those questions you know the real fundamental questions like what can i do to get better where's my business going etc etc and then making those connections it astounds me to be honest with you because as you said it it is first and foremost a business Mm. and I guess that ties into the next question about Magic Rock and breweries selling their breweries to bigger businesses like 
in other sectors, that's just normal. No, no one really bats an eyelid when one business sells to another business. But I know we touched a bit upon this with about indie bands and stuff earlier. But mm. like, why do people care as much about it as they do when it comes to beer? I think I think this comes uh, down to my earlier point in that the way that the tra- the, the modern brewery industry has been something of an echo chamber and had this wonderful level of transparency the whole point is you, you know you might have a friend that works for a brewery uh, people have become uh, pe- beer is very easy to get sentimentally attached to and um you know craft beer was built out of a a desire for flavor and something great um it was it was i don't like to call it a rebellion it was at maybe at one stage but it was people moving away from from um industrially produced commodity lagers mostly and ales in some respects um and that evolution of towards beer with with a, with a lot of lot more flavor that took provenance in its ingredients came with an emotional attachment and you see it in other sectors you see it in in wine and cider um you see it in coffee uh you seeing in in bread uh, people are very emotional about bread um, and and uh, and bakers and and, and whatnot. Um, bread Twitter. Oh, I guess. Uh... Hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a bread Twitter. There isn't a bread Twitter. <laughs> if there is, if there is, and you're listening, uh, I hope you're having fun in bread Twitter. Um, but um, so no, I just think there's this emotional attachment, and and uh, people cling on to this ideal of things staying the same forever people don't like change and a, and, and a buyout or, or i think sell up is a better word than buyout uh you it's like you it's like cutting the umbilical cord really you're like and everyone's like don't worry it's going to be just the same and everyone's like yeah nothing will change but everyone knows that's not true everything that the whole point of selling up is to invite change into your business mm. And that change is is to do with scaling up and, and becoming these are people trying to make nationally recognized brands. When you talk about Beaver Town and Magic Rock and what they're trying to do, they're trying to become the next Fullers. They're trying to become the next Adnams or the next Marsdens. They want to be national. They want to be British brands that are in, in every home and every fridge. And um and they are taking the route in which they feel they are going to achieve this, um, you know, and it and it creates money. You know, Brewdog is another example. They took they decided to go down the the, the softly, softly private equity uh, um, route, which which allows them to, in some respects, sell this idea that they're still independent. <laughs> I I disagree with with that ideal. Uh, I think private equity has a massive amount of influence. Uh, you don't get two hundred and uh, two hundred and twenty million pounds and 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 not have that influence what you're you're doing and and change your direction. But I digress, and that's the thing. It's it's uh, it it comes back to this cutting of the umbilical cord and leaving you kind of abandoned. And I think that the 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 way you naturally react is fight or flight, isn't it? You either you, you run away or you react. Um, and that, so you see, and that's the two reactions you get. You get people go, oh, it's not news, not bothered. And that's like, that's someone saying, I don't want to know. I'm just going to move on. And then people get emotional. That's, that's fight or flight. Um, and in a couple of weeks time, everyone will have moved on and, 
and there there are the odd one or two people who, who like to stick in stick the oar in when it comes to the, the the people who have made this decision i think that's a little unfair um but uh, especially when there is so much independent beer out there but we do have to be mindful of um how the owners of these breweries and i don't and i will say i don't begrudge any of the owners of these breweries for making their decision they're looking after their businesses this is this this is their aim their goal but i do worry about the um the behaviors of their owners um particularly the ones that own large estates of pubs um because uh, they are I, I fear that there is routes to market for growing independence that are being deliberately blocked mm. uh, and this 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 is a concern and I, and I don't you know I don't blame any of the the recent sellouts for, for that happening um, but uh, you only have to, you only have to walk into a fuller's pub uh, and and see one line in every pub is is now an Asahi line and what what was that before well it could have been frontier lager and uh, which and honestly that being replaced with Asahi is doing it a favor in my opinion <laughs> but that but that's just an example of very quickly in in an estate of however many pubs 400 pubs um is now no longer available and uh you know if and if you're looking at someone selling an IPA into a, a star pub that can't happen because um and that's 3,500 pubs, Heineken's star pub estate. It's like, oh, we don't need it because we've got Lagunitas, Beavertown, and Brixton. So we've got all the IPAs in the UK. We don't need another one. Um, and um, this, that will uh, continue to proliferate. And, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is that a lot of the independents are on a steep growth curve because once a lot of them are hitting that 5,000 heck and because of the way small brewers relief is set up, they have to smash through it yeah. to grow very quickly. And that growing, when you're growing very quickly, you need to take on staff. And if you want good staff, you have to pay good wages and then you have to make profit. So you have to make lots more beer. So you expand and then take on more expense and like, oh, I need to make more beer. So you expand again and it becomes a sort of cycle of growth to ensure that you're profitable. But then once you've all got the capacity as a result, you need to figure out where you're going to sell it. Yep. Um, ideally, you would have figured that out first, but that's not the reality <laughs> of the market. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope. You make the beer and then go, right, who wants some <laughs> beer? And, um, I, I, and I th as a result of this, the, the most successful breweries of the next five or 10 years will, will open their own uh, estates of, of pubs and bars. So what BrewDog have done, they're, they're going to go to hit 100 sites this year. I had a weird experience uh, in uh, I was in central London uh, in the West End. I don't often go there, but I was on Cambridge Circus where Brewdog Seven Dials is, and it was literally uh, McDonald's, Burger King, Brewdog, Shake Shack, and it looked it, it just its brand just fitted in, mm. and it told me immediately that's what they they, they want to be like, like this nationally facing accessible uh, thing like like these these brands um fat, craft beer is fast food um and i love a maccas occasionally you know it's fine and uh maybe they'll start selling beer <laughs> <laughs> um they do they do in france um but uh yeah no, in in seriousness i think um uh, direct routes to market through through uh, direct retail i.e but chains of bars is is what the growing brewers will do but that takes takes money um 
you know, Mag- Magic Rock will undoubtedly open Magic Rock bars because if you look at Lion, they're opening Panhead and Little Creatures, uh, a, a, a tap room and a brew pub, respectively, at the end of the month in London. Um, and and uh, the Magic Rock's branding is, is sensational. Yeah. Um, you know, designer Rich Norgate has just done wonders with that with that brand. It's really strong. Uh, and imagine rolling that out into uh, um, a, a pub or a bar. You only have to. Uh, it's a great example of that working. North Brewing in Leeds opened their tap room in Leeds City Centre, and it's basically if you've ever seen Transmission, their core IPA, they basically turn that can design into the bar. So it, it's like you're sitting in the can design, and it's a wonderful transition of, of brand from from product to. to to place very difficult to do that well but magic rocks brand will do that really well so it'd be very easy to roll that brand out into into bars so you, you will definitely see uh, that happen uh, within the next 12 months mm. so if that is people's business model like brew dog um mm. or, or well, beaver town's classic example Right, mm. I remember having an argument with Paddy at Sheffield Brewery when I worked there about when, when all that happened. I was like, well, I don't particularly like Heineken, but, you know, if that's what they want and they want to build Beaver World, then yeah. that, that's good on them because they're not going to get the cash from anywhere else, that amount no. of money. And he was like, no, I'm never buying Beaver Town ever again. And there was such uproar with Beaver mm. Town. Whereas with Magic Rock, it's kind of felt a bit more like mild indignation, and with Four Pure, it was just kind of like tumbleweeds. Like, <laughs> I think, I think, I think you have to look at the behaviours of the brewery previous to the sell-up, uh, because um, uh, you know I'm a I'm a, I'm a Beaver Beaver Town fan. They're, they're three miles down the road from where I'm sat now, um, but uh, they definitely built a rod for their back uh, because there was a lot of talk of. We're, you know, Logan's speech at the uh, extravaganza. I remember it, yeah, Yellow Fizz like, and was sticking it to Anti-big the man. Anti-big beer. Um, and, and, you know, it's the whole protesting too much, building um, building that rod for your back. And so if you, if you say one thing and then do another, that's going to create a conflict. Mm. I always think um, Richard Burhouse at Magic Rock has, has always played it pretty straight. There was that one thing where he was part of that United Craft Brewers that never came to fruition, which was uh, yeah. Brewdog, Camden, um, Magic Rock, and, and Beavertown, along with the distributor James Clay. And then Camden sold just a few few uh, weeks after that being being announced. And, um, uh, and the whole thing fell, fell apart. But apart from that, Rich never came out saying, you know, independence or death, uh, as an example of a quote often used, uh, it's, it's, uh, he's played it pretty straight, you know, for pure, the, the, you know, the, the Dan Lowe, uh, built a successful tech company and, and, and sold that before he, he founded for pure. I think his intention was always clear and he, he never doubted that. And, you know, when I interviewed him following the, the, sale of his brewery he said i don't want to say nothing will change because that would be wrong we're doing this so we can change and grow and and that was refreshing uh, there was a lot of you know a lot of conscious thought behind that statement because if you are making this decision that is what you are you are inviting change into your brewery but if you are pushing the rhetoric that you're never going to change you're here for the fans you're here to support the little guy and then you do the sort of like 
bait and switch. Yeah. <laughs> they go, actually, we want to do this. We haven't got enough money. We spoke to a few people. We like this one the best. They're also going to give us the most money and we're going to do this amazing thing. But you still, you know, you still believe that you're going to do this amazing thing and you probably are, but you've, you've misled a bit of trust on the way there and that will create that reaction. Yeah. I've watched it with fascination. Um, I mean, I must confess when I saw the magic rock thing, I was really surprised um, on a lot of levels because I didn't, I didn't see that. I haven't, having spoke to Richard Burhouse earlier this year, Mm. Uh, when I went to do a podcast with him, I knew they were going into a supermarket, and I, I kind of, I guessed that it would be Tesco, mm. um, and I knew they needed to expand, and I knew they were looking for premises to expand into. Um, but to be honest with you, like I, I personally felt fairly happy for them that they were getting this, you know, injection of cash to to grow because of my brother-in-law, and to think back to his comments about Cannonball and. From my personal point of view, if again, if it comes down to like if if that's what they want and they want to be like and maybe I'm saying this because I'm a nineties kid and I grew up listening to Oasis and Oasis were gonna like, we're gonna be the biggest band in the world ever. Yeah. I feel it, you yeah. know. And I'm just kinda like, yeah, I I wanna be in the biggest band in the world ever. I wanna have the biggest brewery in the world ever. I wanna be the biggest business ever, you know. Whereas over the last ten years is you know, there's been a real mindset shift particularly with millennials and and gen z or x whatever they mm. call it i don't know. Um, gen z gen yeah. z yeah millennials, millennials are gen y yeah it's confusing okay. yeah well, you know but you know of of authenticity and and all the rest of it um i don't know maybe, maybe that's just me um but i i th- i think i personally think fair, fair play to me if that's what you want fair play to you you know mm. um I, th- I think Magic Rock is a significant one because it is um, the first northern brewery. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there is, a, there is a lot of competitiveness between the north and the south, and that is uh, the same in many things as it is, is in brewing. And if you look at the deals, it was it was very bar, – Bar Sharps in Cornwall, which went to Molson Coors in 2011, I believe, um, It's it's been like all London. It's been Mean Time, Camden, Beavertown, Brixton uh, – london fields and fullers and so with with magic rock being the first uh northern brewery to, to go that way there's there's going to be some some emotion because it's very easy to be outside of london and look at london it's like well london's just doing its london thing but when it happens in your own backyard it's, it's going to feel different and uh, magic rock won't be the first northern brewery to to make this decision mm. you know, that that you know nor will there be there, there will be more london breweries that will likely make the decision i think i think uh a lot of breweries are at the size now where if that they have to make the decision, do they want to stay as they are or do they want to take it to the next level? And I think most of them will answer, want to take it to the next level. It's now or never. Um, and that will involve taking taking money from somewhere. So you will see, uh, you know, some breweries, you know, I was talking on Twitter that uh, people were asking me, when are Duval going to buy a brewery? And I said, well, they just bought a kombucha uh, company uh, that no one – noticed um i tried to pitch a few magazines some stories on it when it happened they're like oh i'm not really interested in in duval buying a kombucha company it's like oh but it's you know it's the kombucha company owned by crate breweries <laughs> so you know, it's it's happening um and and other breweries will uh you know will make more moves um uh kieran asahi carlsberg heineken abi um 
you know, there, there more there will be more deals, uh, and I think people should be ready for that. Do you think then it's almost like a sliding scale downwards in that when Camden sold up to AB InBev, like I, I mean, I felt offended. I a, a, a guy I met yeah. in London took me there. I, I mean, I I'd never met him before. It was a friend of a friend, and he took me and all my friends out to Camden Town, and it's the first time I'd been to something like that. And they and did was, it very well. Yeah, and I, I was like, this is amazing. This is what I want my brewery to be like. And then when they did sell, I was, I was so gutted. Then when Beavertown sold, I I had more of an understanding of the industry and running a business. So I was like, okay, fair enough. You know, and I wonder whether, but obviously there was a lot of indignation about that, but do you, do you think it'll be a bit like a sliding scale in that after a while, people just be kind of like, eh, oh, there, another one bites the dust. Uh, it de- I think it depends on the brewery, if, if I'm being honest, because um, Camden was the, was the one, because Goose Island had sold, uh, in, uh, and I had friends in Chicago who were mortified when Goose Island went to AB InBev, um, and, um, and I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. And when Camden went, like, in that moment, I understood implicitly how they felt. Uh, I felt as, uh, I was... You know, I was a blogger, but I wasn't writing professionally much at that point. Uh, and so, and I was personally, uh, emotionally invested, and and it and it and it smarted because they wanted. They were all about building community and building friends, and and take and and when they took the money, this was at the time. This is not how I feel now. I, mm. I love a pint of hells. Um, you know, when uh, when there's not an independent lager of similar quality on the bar. <laughs> Um, nice little disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, but um, but um, yeah, and and uh, so at the time I felt very emotional about Camden selling, and I didn't understand it. And and um, by the time Beavertown came around, I was very much like these these guys are successful. I worked in the industry, I understood it. That you know, I believed in the vision, the the, the Beaver world, and and I I think I thought they were building something great. Um, and I still think they are. I'm very worried about their investors, Heineken, and their tactics. Uh, but I think that um, Beavertown own 51% of the company, so hopefully there's enough autonomy there uh, to prevent them from getting involved in any any uh, anti-competitive practices. Uh, and at the moment, I'm I'm relatively confident that that's the case. But we shall see. Mm. Um, prove me wrong, uh, or don't actually. In the- <laughs> yeah, don't, <laughs> don't prove that's... don't prove me wrong. <laughs> um, and then and then Fuller's. Uh, meantime, I felt nothing for Meantime because uh, I've never really enjoyed their beer that much. Um, and I don't understand why people yeah, kind of hold them in that same thing. They were kind of an interim brewery for me. Fuller's was an interesting one because I had some friends who were very emotionally uh, affected, much like I was at Camden when Fuller's sold. People were like, oh, it's the end of an era. It's the end of uh, 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 of, of this London heritage. And I'm like, hang on, hang on. Fuller's are a multi-million pound company already that are listed on the that you know they're they're listed uh they're a plc and um they've got an aging board of directors who are all at retirement age and they've just been offered the perfect out this is like <laughs> yeah why? They're, they're already <laughs> massive they, yeah. they have 400 pubs like there's they're not small and uh so i i was very i understood why people were emotional but but a part of me was a bit baffled because mostly because i felt nothing mm. 
Um, and, and I still, the only thing that's made me quiver is just seeing a tap go. And my, my point at the end of my road is, is followers. And they literally came and put in the Asahi tap the next day. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, um, uh, so magic rock. Um, when I heard the rumors, um, you know, when that happens and, and, and there's talk, um, you're like, well, you mentally prepare yourself. And, uh, and as I said on Twitter, I think it's great for Rich and the team. I'm really happy for them, genuinely. Uh, but I felt a little pang because, uh, you know, I when they launched the brewery, I, I ordered beer off their web shop, and 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 you know, I've I've known the guys for a number of years, and it was sort of losing that sort of that innocence uh, of being a small independent and becoming part of part of Lion. Um, thank, I've seen the way Lion handle. Um, Panhead in New Zealand, though, and, I, and I'm pretty confident that 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 they will they will work with Magic Rock with the best intentions. But um, I think on your question is, it, I don't think we're going to see an end to emotional reactions. It, it all depends on the brewery, um, you know, and and uh, if people are invested emotionally in that brewery, you will you will see a reaction, and and it will keep happening for for a good number of years yet. So what? I think this is probably a really good question to round off on then um, because I think what all of this what we've discussed today leads back to is um, how can I put it I guess brand collateral that's that's mm. I guess that's the, the only phrase I can think of mm. like Four Pure never had the kind of buy-in to their brand that Magic Rock have got or more so the buy-in that people have with Cloudwater now, mm. I, if Cloud, not that I think they would, but if Cloudwater turn around in a year's time and we're like we're selling up to AB InBev, I mean the the absolute uproar. I mean the internet would literally break. You know, all, just, the, <laughs> <laughs> they'd be looting in the streets. The power in the UK would go down. Um, I I, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, exactly, but it's because but, pe- uh, people have that vested interest in Cloudwater. I was talking to one yeah. client of mine when I was talking about branding and he really hit the nail on the head when, when we were talking about it. And he said, um, he, he used BrewDog as an example. He's like, BrewDog doesn't mean anything, but it means everything. And I was like, that that's such a good way of describing how brands make people feel. Like, mm. why do you think then, as the, the last question, certain brands like Magic Rock, like Cloudwater, like Fuller's London Pride even have a higher level of buy-in and capture people's hearts and emotions more than other brands. Whoa, uh, so we need another hour for this question. <laughs> I think um, there's no magic formula. You know, it's it's uh, uh, you, you, branding is is a dark art. Uh, I love I, I, you know when I, I spoke to Richard Burhouse this week and and he said something he said to me that resonated and he said it in a few interviews I've read online that he wanted to, he, he builds brands and he was always interested in building a, a brand and he, he would rather see people take buying a six pack of cannonball, a beer that they have worked years on perfecting on the way it looks um, and on the way it tastes um, than constantly bashing out one-off specials because to be honest, that kind of, thing is great in the early days but in the long term it, it doesn't build a brand um and i think um you know cloudwater have, have worked 
Paul has worked very hard on positioning Cloudwater from before they brewed uh, the first beer. Um, and you can see this with a lot of other breweries as well. Wylam, do, uh, in, in the last few years, do a great job of it. Um, North Brewing and Northern Monk in Leeds doing incredible brand building. Verdant, um, five points. Uh, and there is no... And five points is an interesting one to me because they were always never held in high regard because they made core beers. And now the the market's saturated with specials. Mm. People are going back. I think we talked about this in the first podcast. People are going back to uh, a core beer, to a lager or a pale ale because they like to try. You know what? I'll, I'll go to my local pub and I'll have a pint of uh, uh, something sessionable and then I'll try something new. And then I'll go on to something I want to drink for the rest of the night. Um, I haven't got the the energy to, to, to go through five or six new beers on a Friday night when I'm relaxing. And I think more and more people are getting to that mentality. Absolutely. Not to say that there isn't a, a strong uh, uh, I don't, ticker mentality. I don't know. Is that what it is, a ticker mentality? There is a lot of enthusiasm for new products, but I'm seeing more and more people um, uh settling into more of a more of a groove more of a routine um but also people who are new to beer are are going for you know these these hazy yellow beers and and they want to try all the different ones um maybe that's great because they all taste mostly the same don't they so so they are <laughs> building that familiarity but coming back to the question of brand it's just a case of of building a, a strong visual image um, that is that's, that's unique. It speaks of your place, but without being leaning on it too strongly. Um, and then, and then inside that image is, is a just just a banging product, something that's delicious and consistent and reliable. Um, uh, Magic Rock have, have uh, by and large done that really well. Um, and uh, with, with brands like Cannonball, we haven't talked about High Wire. We haven't talked about Inhaler. Um, you know. You know, look at dancing beer. That you know, that you know, there'll definitely be a a lager from them, whether it's dancing beer or, or something new. That's that's lager is more and more people are moving to 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 great tasting lager. Um, so yeah, it's it's just finding that magic. It's it's, it's hard work. Yeah, you know? sure. It's it's listening to other building a brand involves listening. Um, you know, I, I've just I'm launching a. Uh, a website on the 1st of May. It's a magazine uh, uh, with a guy called Johnny Hamilton uh, called Pellicle. And um, uh, it's going to be an online magazine and then a, a, a podcast. Different to this, it's going to be a consumer uh, focus podcast. I'm writing my own theme tune. I don't know how that's going to go, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then we'll launch, we're going to, we, 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 our ambition is to launch a quarterly print magazine, which is madness in this day and age, but we, we, there is this. There is actually like a magazine culture where people are really into magazines, and so we want to get get into that. But we we work with a designer to on our logo, and uh, I wanted to call the whole project something different, uh, which which was just a bad idea. But having a business partner was great. But then we got a select group of our friends and said, "What do you think of this?" And some of them were like, "It's all right," which is like, "Oh." It's all right. No, it, it needs to be amazing. And we worked with the designer and we spoke to our friends until everyone was like, oh, yeah, this is great. Mm. And that's what brand building is. It's about listening and it's about 
taking feedback from from multiple sources and it's also about evolving just because you've 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 hit on a strong brand doesn't mean you should then rest on it um everyone else is changing so you need to change too so it's uh, i think that's it it's about it's about listening and being flexible and, and ready to to move with the times bro well thanks again for being on the podcast and um yeah covered a lot covered a lot of ground there today yeah we did uh, thanks for such great questions it's always great to chat nick um so uh yeah thanks again for having me on the show thanks for tuning in to the hot forward podcast this week make sure you hit the subscribe button Follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and visit our website hotforward.beer for more articles, insights and a range of services aimed at helping you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Until next time, cheers. Right,